Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. How good was it to pray for the kids before? I love that. Uh, getting just to lay hands on our, our kids and pray for them, I think it's really significant and special. So uh, great to have the youth in here uh, this uh, morning as well. Big welcome to you. And uh, looking forward to uh, having you with us this morning. I reckon that what I'm going to be sharing this morning is, uh, is going to be a message for you teenagers, just as it is for anybody else in the room today. I believe God is going to speak to all of us on a subject and a, an issue that we all have to grapple with and work through because it's uh, something that every human heart desires and that is contentment. Every human heart desires contentment and there is a wrestle for it. And uh, I'm gonna be sharing a little bit this morning uh, on that. So it's great to have you here. Huge welcome to you. Great to have you. Well done for being here on a rainy day on a long weekend in the middle of the school holidays. Uh, well done, well done. And, and also it is our grand final day today for anybody who cares about the rugby leagues. Anyone, anyone care? Any, any, anyone? Yeah, there's, a, there's a few of you, yeah. Melbourne and Sydney, who cares? Who cares? Hey, uh, so uh, thinking back to my youth, uh, I, uh, I was a child of the 80s. Anybody here grow up in the, uh, the 80s? Come on, loud and proud. It was a loud and proud decade, the 1980s, the big fashion in the 80s. And I was growing up through primary school uh, into my teen years in the 80s. And uh, I wasn't really interested about fashion too much apart from one thing, and that was footwear. You can see that I'm wearing shoes I don't normally wear to church on stage here today. I'm wearing a pair of, does anyone know what I'm wearing? Come on, yell it out. Dunlop KT26s, come on. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about these Dunlop KT26s. They were designed and built in Australia from 1978. 1978, they're called KT for Kinetic Technology. The 26 is for the length of a marathon, 26. And, uh, and, and 1978, and this was, this is like standard issue when I was growing up, going to school. Uh, anybody else wear a pair of these? KT26s, Dunlop, you know, they were that. I remember going to school wearing these all the time. Uh, but in the 80s, uh, you know, th this, this may have been standard issue, but other, the other sports were kind of took off. See, before the 80s, you only wore sports shoes if you were playing a particular sport, right? So if you're playing basketball, then you might wear a Converse high top, something like that. Uh, if you're running, you'd wear sneakers um, or running shoes, but you wouldn't necessarily wear them to school or out. Then something happened in the 80s when, when sports shoes and sneakers got cool. And there are a couple of brands that really drove this whole thing. The first brand was a, a brand called Nike in 1984, they designed their first Nike Air Jordans. Did anyone ever own a pair of Nike Air Jordans? Few of you just, yep, cool. Now, I, <laughs> these are a pair of Nike Air Jordans. I knew I could rely on our Redlands campus pastor, Jason Fittis, to own a pair of these. Uh, so I managed to get these off Jace. Now, I was corrected. Some teenager came up to me after the eight and said, you know, they're not the originals. They're actually uh, Jordan Mark 12. It's like, thanks, man. I, I didn't know that, but I'm pretty sure they're not from 1984. Um, Nike Air Jordans. They kind of made footwear cool. 
If anyone rocked up to school wearing a pair of Nike Airs, they went straight to the top of the cool tree, all right? Then there was another brand. What was the other brand, sports sneaker brand that was huge in the 80s? Reebok, it was Reebok. Some of you yelled out other names, but you're wrong. In 1989, they, Reebok brought out Reebok pumps. Who remembers the Reebok pumps? Anyone own a pair of Reebok pumps? A few of you. There was a guy in grade six who rocked up to Gumdale State School where I was going and uh, he had a pair of Reebok pumps and he went straight to the top of the top of the cool tree. And uh, he had a pair of Reebok, but we all had to go. Unfortunately, someone blew it up so much that the compartments inside the shoe blew up because uh, uh, that's apparently you were supposed, yeah, anyway, you gotta be really careful with pumps. It was a bit of a sad day when his blew up. I rocked up because my parents were a little bit, you know, they were a little bit smarter. They refused to spend 250 bucks on a pair of shoes. So I never got to wear these shoes. I was rocking up to school every day in my Dunlop KT26s. And that disturbed me a little bit because I, was re- I, I judged people at school based on their shoes. You know, I, I'd, I'd come to school and stand on assembly. I don't know if any of you remember this, but there were dots painted on the asphalt where you would stand in a class. Did anyone ever have that? Or was that just Gumdale, which at the time was a country school? It's now very posh. Um, back in 100 years ago, it was a country school. And we'd rock up and we'd stand on this dot in a line in our class and we'd have the notices at the beginning of the day. And I would stand there and look down the line at all my classmates and I would judge people based on what shoes they were wearing. I would compare them and I would make like a list and an order in comparison to who was cool and who was not. And I was clearly not cool. I was wearing $10 KT26s from, from, you know, from Big W. There was only one pair of shoe less cool than mine and that was the Dunlop Volley. Yeah. Anyone had a Dunlop Volley? Yeah, losers. And I'd judge and I would compare based on shoes. And I was never there. I was never cool enough. Never. And then I heard one day that my dad was gonna go, taking a trip to Asia. And I also heard, you know, there was talk that, that you could get cool shoes like Reeboks and Nikes for cheap in Asia, like tax-free and all that kind of stuff. So I begged my dad, Dad, can you please just look and if you can buy me a pair pair of Nikes or Reeboks, that would be amazing. I begged him and begged him. We went to the airport. I remember, I do remember this. This is how it's etched in my memory. He took an outline of my shoe to know what size and I knew what he was doing. He'd come back with something three sizes too big. Do you know how parents, I do that with Olivia now. You know, we go shoe shopping and I just buy it three sizes too big. She walks out of the shops walking like a clown. So you grow into those. Not gonna waste my money. You're, you're a growing girl. It'll only last three months if we get the right size. Any other parents like that? Or is it just me? Anyway, so I remember that was the, two, the longest two weeks of my life. And I waited for my dad. I remember him coming home and from the airport and opening up the suitcase and pulling out a red box. And on the side, it read Reebok. And my heart just leapt. I opened up that box and there were some white high top Reeboks, basketball shoes. I was so excited. I vividly, I do remember this. I, I, I just put them on and I had to go for a run. 
I ran around the block in my basketball shoes, not even running shoes, but I just had to try them out. I was wearing, I couldn't sleep that night. I was so excited the next day to rock up to school and to stand on my dot with my Reebok high tops. And I did, I just, my chest was out. I was new cool guy in the class. I stood there on, at assembly and people saw because they were so bright, like you needed glasses to look at it and like sunglasses. And they all came around and they, cool shoes, man. Oh, they're awesome, Reebok, that's great. And then some grade seven-er, I was in grade six at the time, some grade seven-er who weighed too much, knew way too much about shoes came up and, began to inspect them and look at them and and then said, they're fake. And then a few others came, they began to inspect. They said, yeah, they're fake. And my pride and my sense of value and worth plummeted like the Titanic. I was devastated. I was crushed. I was not cool anymore. In fact, I was lower than the Dunlop Volley. Let me tell you, I never wore those shoes to school again. Yeah, I know you're feeling sorry for me, the teenage angst and pain and all that kind of stuff. I'm okay, it's all right. Now, and I don't blame my dad, like he had no idea, he's no expert in sports shoes and he was really great. A few years later, he went back again and actually did get me a a real pair of, uh, of Nikes. He was really sweet. And I know that's a simple story about my, uh, my youth, But actually there's a story and there is truth in there for every one of us. Because all of us at different points, maybe not with shoes, maybe not with fashion, maybe, but we find ourselves comparing our lives with others. We spend our our time and our energy and our worry comparing our lives against others, our friends, our family members, our neighbours, our work colleagues, and it leads to discontentment. It robs us of contentment, which is really confusing because we live in a culture and an age that has access to so much. Never have we actually had so much. So much, you need access to technology, access to information, access to healthcare, access to, 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 to appliances, to travel, you know, we can, in 24 hours, we can be anywhere in the world. You know, we are such a rich, blessed culture, generation. Never have we had so much yet so discontent because our culture and media is driven by an appeal to discontentment. You see this at work all the time. We turn on the television, we open up our computer screens, we're being sold contentment. We're being sold happiness. Hey, if you just have that pair of shoes, if you just buy this, if you just had that, if you just experienced this, if you just went there, if you just had that, then you'd be happy. You'd be content, but you don't. So it feeds on this discontentment. We see it with social media as well, intentionally or not. We look at our Facebook page, our Instagram page, Twitter, whatever it is, and we find ourselves comparing our lives against others and it feeds into this sense of discontentment. Never have we had so much, yet been so discontent. Never we had so much, yet been so discontent. 
And this is a reality, and I'm talking across the generations, I'm talking to you young people now. You know, primary school age kids now, they say the statistics one in four struggle with mental health issues in primary school. That jumps in high school for a bunch of you teenagers, 40% will struggle with mental health issues. 40%. Never have we had so much, yet been so discontent. And tragically, it's robbing us of life. It's stealing us of joy and it's actually robbing us of life. You know, we look at suicide. We had Are You OK Day a few weeks ago, heightening awareness of the reality of suicide, the curse of suicide in our community. You know, from the, the third largest killer of people aged between 15 and 24 is suicide. The third largest killer, suicide. You know, we live in a culture that is discontent. How, how can this be? We have so much get so discontent. And I, don't, and I don't speak in a void or a vacuum here. This is a journey for me as well. I mean, I've just been open and vulnerable in sharing my, my story as a grade sixer. But to be honest, this has been a significant journey for me. You know, so often I find myself comparing my life to others. So often I am worried about what other people think of me, how they judge my life, how well I'm doing. It's an ongoing journey for me. And I've been talking to God about this and it keeps coming up. And just a few months ago, again, I was talking to God about contentment, saying, God, I just wanna know the joy and contentment found in you, the promise of the gospel that, that invites me into that. Why don't I have it? And during that season, I was, I was reading through the Psalms. And there's, a, there's a, a bunch of Psalms together called the Psalms of Ascent. You may have heard them. They were songs that were written for the people of Israel as they journeyed toward Jerusalem. And they would sing these songs. A lot of the songs are about journey. They use pictorial image like that. They're really short, which I really like. It means that I feel like I'm smashing through the chapters really quickly, even though they're only two or three verses long. But there's one Psalm during this season that I feel like, felt like God just speak to me and plant in my heart. And it's a song written by King David. It's Psalm 131. And I'd love to read it today and just spend some time sitting in this and allowing it to minister to all of us because I know this is a journey for all of us. So if you wanna turn in your Bibles to Psalm 131 this morning, whether that's on your digital device or your Bible. I'm gonna have the words up on the screen as well, but I encourage you, if you've got a Bible, just open it, take notes. And this is what Psalm 131 says, just three simple verses. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me but I've calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. It's a beautiful picture a picture of contentment. I think this is a psalm that invites us into something. Do you feel that? Do you, you feel invited into something? 
Do you feel as you read that, you go, oh, there's, there's peace there that I want. Oh, that's a picture of something that I long for. David is writing and it's this beautiful picture of contentment. But what's really interesting is that David doesn't start by painting a picture of contentment. What does he write? In verse one, he says, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty. You see, before David can even paint a picture of what contentment looks like, he needs to articulate and remove that which robs us of contentment. And David is very accurate here. He says, the thing that robs us of contentment is pride. It's pride. That's the thing that needs to be removed if we are to enter into this place of contentment. And I reckon as David is writing this, he's got one eye back at Genesis chapter one to three. I'm sure many of you know the story. It's the the story of creation where God over six days creates the world. And he looks at it and he says, everything's good. He creates male and female, Adam and Eve, and they're invited into this beautiful garden called the Garden of Eden. And everything is provided for them. It is a picture of contentment. It's a picture of peace. Adam and Eve have no need for anything and there is no anxiety or worry to be seen. It is wonderful, it is pure. There is, there's a purity of relationship here. But you know, the story is that God places a tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, you can eat from any tree, but you must not eat from the fruit of that tree. And Adam and Eve are in the garden and we read the story that Satan comes in in the form of a serpent, a snake and comes and and comes alongside Adam and Eve and tempts them, takes them to the tree, the knowledge of good and evil and says, God doesn't want you to eat that from the fruit from that tree. Why? Because if you do so, you will become like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And Eve, who, uh, who is seeing the fruit, is being tempted, and Adam, who is standing right next to her, see the fruit, see that it's pleasurable to the eye, and they take and eat it. Now, this is not primarily an issue of stealing or disobedience. This is primarily about pride. See, the temptation for Adam and Eve is about being God. By taking the fruit, they're saying, we want to be our own God. It's a movement of pride. It's saying, I am master of my destiny, king of my soul. I am taking control of my life, knowing the difference between good and evil. That's the move. It's a move of pride. And the thing is, is wherever pride is present, there is always comparison. There is always judgment, knowing between good and evil. And you see the response of Adam and Eve. As soon as they take the fruit, they become aware of their own deficit. They become aware of their own brokenness. They become aware of their own shame because they're now comparing against something. They're now responsible, it's up to them. See, pride says, I can sort it out, I can fix myself, I can earn it, I can do it. It's all about me. And as soon as you make it all about you, then everything rests on you. 
You invite judgment and comparison into your world and it robs you of that peace and that contentment. And we see it with Adam and Eve. Like that, contentment is gone. Like that, peace is gone. Relationship is broken and they go and they hide, aware of their own brokenness, their own shame. You see, pride leads to comparison. Pride sits at the heart of discontentment. And comparison is the enemy of contentment. Pride that leads to this comparison, comparison that wages war against our own contentment. And we see this at work in a couple of ways. Firstly, we find ourselves comparing ourselves against our own expectations. I don't know if you find this. You know, you've got these expectations of how you see the world. Maybe you grew up in a family. You just you naturally just have these expectations on life. And you're always measuring where you're at, your successes and your failures, your achievements, whatever, against your expectations. You know, I'm about to turn 40 and I don't know what is about 40, uh, but apparently, you know, I'm finding this that I, I look back over the last 20 years and I'm looking ahead to the, to the next whatever years and I, you kind of do this self-assessment. And, I, and I, I never at 20 or 22 thought, by the age of 40, I'm gonna have this house, I'm gonna be married to this person, I'm gonna have this many kids, I'm gonna be earning this amount of money, whatever. I didn't never, was never thinking that. Maybe some of you were and bless you. I certainly wasn't, I wasn't thinking that. And if you are 22, yeah, maybe not. I just, I don't think like that. But now I'm kind of, I've got this kind of expectation in my head of what I should be doing at the age of 40. We do this, right? We just measure ourselves against these expectations. And the thing is that our expectations are always just a little bit further than where we're at. Do you find that? You know, I, I'm doing okay or, or not, but if I was just here, that's kind of where it would, in my expectation, I thought I would be or where I should be. You know, we have expectations against, uh, we, we compare our lives against our own expectations. And secondly, we compare ourselves against others' achievements. You know, find ourselves looking to our family members. We look at our friends, work colleagues, neighbours, you know, friends on Facebook that we haven't spoken to for 15 years. You know, we, we look on there and it's kind of like the, you know, the highlight reel. And we find ourselves comparing our lives against others. And the tragedy is, and the truth is, is that there will always be someone who's doing it better than you. There's always someone who will be doing it better than you. Whenever you seek to compare yourself in whatever aspect of life, whether it's your career, whether it's success, whether it's finance, whether it's your house, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your family, whether it's how well your kids are doing, whether it's your future, whether it's your sense of happiness, whether it's where you're living, whatever it is, there will always be somebody who's doing it better than you. Let me give you an analogy. Let me give you a running analogy uh, because I never give running analogies. I never talk about running. I'd like to share an analogy about me running in a marathon because I've never shared that before. 
I get a bit of a grief from staff because I do talk a lot about running. Well, if you didn't know, I actually ran the London Marathon about 12 years ago. And, uh, and it, was, it, it was good. You know, I trained hard and I thought I was a good runner. And, uh, and I got to the start line and I was doing some good, good uh, speed through the early Ks. And until I got to about the 22 mile mark, about the 30, 32 K mile mark, uh, K mark, and then I hit that wall, you know, that invisible wall that just sucks all the life and the juice out of you. And I didn't stop running, I was adamant. I, but, you know, I thought I was doing well until I got close to the finish line and some 70 year old guy flew past me wearing a pair of Dunlop volleys. I mean, at least he could have been wearing a pair of KT26s because they're kinetic technology for 26 miles. It was at that point I realised maybe I'm not that good a runner. I was warming down at the end in a park just near a tree and I was with two women who'd just gone slightly faster than me. And then I realised I wasn't a good runner either. Now, before you think I'm being sexist, let me explain. One of the women who was warming down, she'd done her fourth marathon and she was in her 60s. And I realised then, I'm not a good runner. The other girl was the same age as me, but she was wearing a chicken suit. <laughs> Somehow, you know, when you run for a charity, you just get dressed up in ridiculous things. She'd still run it quicker than me. You know, if I compare myself to that, I, I never stack up. If I compare myself to Jason Ellsmore, well, that's a different story. <laughs> There is always someone doing it better than you. You get into the comparison game, it will rob you, it will steal contentment from you. And David understood that. David understood that if we had a no contentment, if we're gonna step into contentment, then we, we need to remove pride. And as we remove pride from our lives, what we do is we step into something new. We step into grace. We step into this wonderful sense of, of God's grace and His goodness for us. See, the key to contentment is grace. The key to contentment is celebrating grace. And David paints this wonderful picture here of a child running into its mother's lap, a weaned child. This beautiful picture, you know, we've got a two-year-old Jacob and he just, even if he's just got in trouble, he still feels the freedom just to run into Megan and I's lap and just loves to be there, to sit in our laps for no other reason than to give and receive affection. And that's why it's important here. David is very particular in saying it's a weaned child. Why? because there is no transaction taking place. There is no taking here. The child is not going to take anything, but just to give and receive love. It's not based on transaction, it's based on grace. It's this beautiful picture, a wonderful picture of grace that David paints for us. And we sit here and go, how is that possible? Maybe, because this is a picture of God and all His wonderful, motherly attributes. And, 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 and David paints this picture. 
And we might sit here and go, oh, that's, that, I can't relate to God like that. How, do, how can you relate to God in this intimate kind of way? See, God has designed us to be in relationship with Him. But we are just like Adam and Eve. We, every one of us are proud. We have all said to God, I'm sorry, stuff you, I'm gonna live my life my way. We've all done that at different points in our life, if we're really honest. We've all said to ourselves, no, I am taking control. I'm the captain of my life. I am the master of my destiny. I'm in control. But we know that we are working in that space because then we, we, we feel at different points, shame, anxiety, fear, condemnation. They are the fruits of pride. We feel it. You wanna do a diagnosis of pride? Look to that. Insecurity. We all feel it. And we've stood against God and we've said, God, no thank you, I am gonna live it my way. And God, His heart breaks just as it did back in Genesis. His heart breaks for us. But it's not the end of the story. Yet we are, yet we are separated. We were separated from God in our sin, in our rejection of Him. But He made a way for us. I know many of you know the wonderful redemption story of God coming down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, the great rescue mission to make a way for us to be in relationship with Him again. Jesus the God-man who walked the earth, lived a perfect life and after 33 years, because He's preached grace, radical grace, because He preached against religion and pride, He was murdered on an ugly tree, beaten, broken, bloodied, naked, ashamed. Why? For you and you and you, for every one of us, for our pride. He bore the weight of our pride and our sin on His shoulders. He died for every one of us, for all our guilt, all our shame, for all the condemnation. He took it upon Himself. He became relationally separated from the Father in a great mystery. But in doing so, in dying and then rising again for us, He makes a way so that we can be in relationship with Him. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter four. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, that access to come into His arms, access to freely run into the arms of God, access by faith into this grace, which we now stand the key to contentment is receiving grace. The key to contentment is acknowledging that we are in need of a Saviour and coming to God and saying, God, I humble myself. It is humbling because it's the opposite of pride, right? Because it means saying, you know what? No matter how hard I try, as I stand and I compare myself against others and against God, I will never be good enough. I can't do it. It's humbling because you have to bow your knee and say, God, will you forgive me? I can't do this. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I am broken and imperfect in every way. And God reaches down and He loves us and He forgives us. 
and he invites us into a profound relationship. It changes everything. It's what our hearts long for. St. Augustine said it this way. God created us for a relationship with Him. We're created for a relationship with God from the very beginning. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. Our hearts will always be restless. Our hearts will always be discontent until we find our hope and our rest in God. It's humbling. Paul writes uh, later on in Romans, Romans chapter 12, he says this from verse three, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Again, so Paul is celebrating grace as he always does and he celebrates the grace in his own life. He says, for the grace given me, I say to you, do not think of yourself more highly than your ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. He's saying, don't think of yourself more highly, humble yourself. And then he goes on, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. The key to contentment is celebrating grace. And what Paul profoundly articulates here is that that God has grace for every one of us. That word charis is grace, but it also means gift. It's a gift to be received. And Paul is articulating here as he acknowledges that he's been gifted with certain things. God has gifted everybody with certain things. I wanna say to you this morning, God has gifted you. He's given you gifts, talents, passions, abilities that are unique to you. He has called you. He's given you grace and you need to celebrate it. You need to receive it and you need to walk in it. God has grace for you. Stop comparing yourself to others. Stop looking to others and the gifts that they have. Acknowledge what God has given you. Receive it and walk in it because in it you will find absolute contentment. It's profound. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you are gifted. Come on. Say it again with gusto, you are gifted. You see, here's the challenge. So often we we forget the things that God has placed on our life. We actually forget the things that God has gifted us in. And we look to the person to our left and our right and we go, God, why didn't you give me those gifts? Why can't, why can't I have those gifts? And as we look out and as we compare ourselves, we actually miss out on the joy and contentment of walking in the thing that God has uniquely called you to do. Oh, if you can walk away with something today, it's a fresh understanding, revelation, inspiration in the thing that God has gifted and given you. Often we think that the passions we have is what everybody has. It's not true. God has individually, uniquely gifted you. Contentment is not about doing nothing. Contentment is about doing the thing God has called you to do and doing it with all your heart. 
And as we do that, we find ourselves celebrating the gifts that others has, as Paul articulates. We all have a role to play. We all need to celebrate and compliment everybody in the gifts of grace that God has poured out. But this is hard, isn't it? It's hard sometimes to celebrate, particularly when we're comparing. We, we can't celebrate the gifts that God has placed on others. It's difficult and I understand it. A couple of years ago, I played a season of winter league cricket. I was playing with a team called the Numbnuts, which probably tells you a little bit about the skill level of the team I was playing in. And I had, had a good season. I'd done pretty well uh, uh, one season and uh, uh, got some runs and taken some wickets. Then the next season, my brother joined the team. He's, uh, he's a few years younger than me. And he joined the team and played that season. And throughout the year, he was way better than me. He scored more runs than me. He took more wickets than me. He fielded better than me. He took more catches than me and generally just looked better than me. You reckon I like that? No, no, it was a terrible season. It was the last season I played. The end of year award ceremony, you kind of like they have a get together and they do a count of best and fairest and who did the best. Dan was up there all the time. Three points to Dan Serkham, two points to Dan. Do you think Andrew Serkham got any points? No. The only thing I walked away with was a trophy because I made the most ducks in the season. <laughs> How affirming is that? I did not want to celebrate Dan's success. I wasn't sitting there going, awesome, Dan, well done, mate. I was thinking, I hate you, you're a loser. <laughs> mate, mate, maybe not that harsh, but. It's hard to celebrate when we're comparing. But we need to learn to celebrate grace in others. And I wanna say this, and Paul affirms this, is that learning to celebrate grace in others, learning contentment, is, it is learning, it's a discipline. You just don't get it. In Philippians chapter four, Paul says, writing from jail, I have learnt the meaning of contentment. I've learnt what it means to be content in all seasons of life. I love that word learnt. But Paul's been on a journey that he's learnt the discipline of contentment. I wanna tell you people that contentment is a discipline. It's a choice. It's something that you work through. And I'm gonna be honest with myself. You know, from the, from the point of standing on assembly back in grade six and finding myself comparing myself to others and worrying what people thought about me. That's an ongoing journey in my story. And God is very gracious with me and revealing and showing in me the areas where I'm insecure, where I'm comparing myself and where I need to grow. And I know for me, it's gonna be an ongoing journey. And I also know that for many of you, it's an ongoing story. It's an ongoing journey. Paul writes, I have learnt what it means to be content. Celebrate grace. If you want true contentment, stop comparing and start celebrating. If you want contentment, stop comparing 
start celebrating. I know that this is an issue for, for many of us at different points in time. And I know right now this will be a journey for us. And good diagnostic sometimes is, is when you see other people succeed, you know, people that you know, family members, friends, whatever, and you see them succeed, what's your heart response? You wanna do a diagnostic, what's your heart response? Do you celebrate with them and go, hey, that's awesome? Or do you find yourself feeling just a little bit jealous? Or do you feel yourself going, what about me? What about me? Great song. It isn't fair. Do, we find us, do you find yourself doing that? Now, I know it is a journey, as I pointed out right at the very beginning. Never have we had so much yet been so discontent. And I know that's true for us in the church as well. And I believe that God is just wanting to refresh our hearts afresh today, set us free today from discontentment, from anxiety, from fear, from worry, insecurity. To get rid of our pride again takes humility. And there's gonna be some humility that's needed today. Just saying, God, again, I just need you. I just need your grace. Remind me of your grace again. I reckon there's a space where we're just gonna respond as a family. But before we do that, I'd love to create an opportunity for anybody here who has come to church and you haven't made that step of placing your faith in Jesus. As I spoke before about the, what Jesus has done for us and how we have to humble ourselves, you haven't yet humbled yourself and said, Jesus, I need your forgiveness, I need your grace. You're still living in pride and you're living in shame and condemnation, anxiety and worry, trying to please others, trying to please God, trying to please who knows what. And it's leading to this deep sense of insecurity in your heart. And today is the day that you need to respond to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't do it anymore. I need your grace. I raise the white flag. Will you come into my life? Will you forgive me? Maybe this is your first time at church, your first time at Gateway. Maybe you've been coming for years. I don't know your story, but what I do know is that God wants to set you free today. So I wonder just across this room right now, we could bow our heads and close our eyes. I'd love just to create an opportunity right now for you to respond if that's you. God wants to be in relationship with you and you will find your peace when you are in relationship with Him. He offers it to you just across this place with every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you this morning, I'm just gonna invite you just to raise your hand right where you are and say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Just raise it high in the sky. Awesome, I see that hand, that's so cool. Anybody else? This is an important moment. Come into peace with God. Surrender yourself, die to yourself, humble yourself and say, Jesus, I need you. Anybody else just across this place? Awesome, I see that hand, mate. Fantastic, thank you. Anybody else? I don't wanna extend this time, but I don't want people to miss out. Anybody else right now? You can put your hand down, thank you. Anyone else? So good. 
hey, why don't we just maintain this space of prayer, posture of prayer right now. And I'd love if you are a Christian here to join along with those who've put their hands up this morning. I'd love for you to pray a prayer, which is a, a prayer just of saying, Jesus, I need You. Forgive me, come into my life. Bring peace and the joy that I need. And uh, why don't we all pray that together just above a whisper along with those who put their hand up this morning if you're comfortable to do that. Just pray after me, dear Lord Jesus. I thank You that You love me. Come on, out loud. I thank You that You love me and that You invite me into relationship. Thank You that You died for me. I recognise that I'm proud, that I've sinned against You and I'm sorry. Will You forgive me? Will You come into my life and give me peace? I want to be in relationship with You. Thank You that You love me. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen. Awesome. Why don't we give those guys just a hand this morning. Lives changed. Peace. Being in the presence in relationship with God, it changes everything. Sets us free from comparison. So good. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.